Welcome to No Ride Around. Um, we're just going to jump right in here. Um, well, sort of. Sort of. I we're going to so- jump in <laughs> the jump in. We're going to jump in 30 minutes late to the actual recording. I, it, it, to my fault, I came screaming in here the same way I did to Old Man Winter in 2019, like hair on fire. Angry. Angry. Listening to, it was a combination, I think, of Offspring and Eminem, which together <laughs> is not what you want to get prepped with. Well, for a race, is great. Yeah. Um, but in those like preparatory moments before, oh my gosh, not the best. So I've kicked the table five times. D's like, stop unplugging the cables and Harley's (laughs) so hopped up on caffeine. He's been drinking coffee for four hours that he doesn't know which way is North. Nope. I don't. So anyway, we have a a guest today. Um, we have Daryl price, um, hanging out with us today. And, uh, Daryl, who are you? Why no, did, why did, no, he's not going to give it justice. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. You think he's going to give it justice? I think he'll humbly yeah, say hum- who he this is. This is not a podcast about humility. Literally, the title means all fire and balls over that obstacle. Hence, no ride around. And so when we knew we were having you on as a guest, Harley's like, dude, there, and he starts, Harley starts rattling off all the reasons he thinks that you're cooler than cool, right? And uh, um, so I'm like, dude, I mean, you know. All right, well, let's see. And so I get on the Googles, and dude, you're fucking cool. <laughs> I was cool. There was definitely a so time. That, so now tell us who you are, because let's, let's put that, like, that's the umbrella. It, it was funny watching, because, you know, I grew up as a fan of mountain biking, and so I knew who you were before I, I met you um, in business up here. Um, like, I knew who Daryl Price was just from paying attention to mountain bike racing, you know, when I was in my early teens. Um, <laughs> thanks. But, I mean, that's Making like, me feel old. No, I mean, <laughs> like you're not that much older than me, but you were doing something at a professional level when, I, and I was like, just a, like a, 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 a fan of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. Um, today I'm a independent sales rep. Mm-hmm. Um, my territory is Colorado and Utah. Um, we cover, um, as an independent sales rep, we're essentially manu- hired by manufacturers, but we don't hold any inventory. So, I, you know, our group works with specialty retail. We sell uh, Belgier on Blackburn and Santa Cruz mountain bikes and stages, which I know you guys are yeah. lovers of. Um, and then uh, we do Tifosi, uh Chris King. We have some other small brands, mm-hmm. um, but that's really our our specialty is going into specialty retail and and presenting hopefully great products for yeah. for solid retailers to to support it with their customers. So um, I've been doing that <clears throat> since 2006, um, moved to back to Colorado in 2010. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we have a 17-year-old boy, a uh, 14-year-old girl. God, he's and 17? I guess I've known you for like 10 years. Yeah, so like- <laughs> yeah, I've been here 10 years exactly. Um, so... So that's who I am yeah. essentially today. What did you used to do? Yeah, I mean, how do you <laughs> like, so, so like <laughs> the thing about sales reps in this industry, I think in like pretty much an all outdoor industry, you don't get the like the sleazy Gordon Gecko sales guy. You know what I mean? You don't get the like the mortgage sales guy. Nothing against those guys are great, like the half my gym. But uh <laughs> you don't get the I'm in the business for the sake of business sales dudes, right? Like those guys are selling like so you get into this industry or the outdoor industry because there's like something that ties you to it. Sure. So, um, my, you know, years and years ago, I, I worked in a bike shop. That's what I grew up doing. Um, like many kids, um, you know, I was breaking down boxes, patching inner tubes when people patched inner tubes, <laughs> um, mostly sweeping the floor and then fetching lunch. Um, so, you know, that was kind of my upbringing, but I grew up as, as a bike racer. So, um, I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, which is a little odd that, you know, most of the brands that I just named are, are f- from that area. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that also, you know, kind of ties into what you're saying, Justin, which is essentially like, you know, these relationships and, or history gets you into these future endeavors. So, um, I raced bikes for a long time. Um, I started when I was 11 years old. Um, back then it was mostly road biking. Um, but Santa Cruz was a hotbed for, um, development. Um, it was a hotbed for cyclocross and, and early mountain biking. So we're just South of 
you know, Marin and all that. Um, so, you know, Keith Bontrager was from there. Rock Shocks was developed there. Um, Giro Helmets was developed there. Santa Cruz Mountain Bikes, on and on. I mean, yeah. there's, there's yeah, a the bunch of brands. Yeah, the doesn't really stop. Um, but, you know, I grew up on on the Saturday ride, like so many people do, mm-hmm. um, on, you know, borrowed parts and bikes and, you know, people pushing me up the hill and trying to get to the next spot. Um, that started at 11 years old. Um, by maybe, you know, 15 or 16, I definitely thought I was on a trajectory to, you know, um, race professionally road. Um, and I, I got really into mountain biking. I had a cycle cross background also it's right there. Um, but you know, I thought I would go to the tour de France eventually, but mountain biking came along and bit me hard and it was just way more, you know, my fun. Yeah, sure. Fun, <laughs> or just <laughs> style of racing too. Like, you know, the thing about road racing was, and, and it still is to this day, although it's, it's a lot, you know, further along, but you know, like you could be the best rider in the group, but not win the sprint. And therefore like you don't win the race. And right. it's a little weird like that, or maybe more so back then. I mean, it seems, you know, that, that's changed a little bit depending on the event, but, but, uh, mountain biking on the flip side was like, you know, go balls to the wall and whoever crosses the line first wins. And that, you know, encompasses going uphill, going downhill, you know, strategy, whatever it might be. Um, so, so that was more in line with not only like my strengths and weaknesses, but also just my heart. Like I love the mountains. I mean, Santa Cruz, of course, is on the ocean, but that was always my jam for sure. Um, and that started fairly young. Um, you know, like I said, I raced, um, you know, road for a long time and cycle cross, um, but you know the mountain bike bug bit me pretty hard in like 1988, um, and then I did it until 1998 professionally. So um, for quite some time. Yeah, dude, huh? the pictures are amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to point out two hilarious just Justin's reaction. So when we're sitting down last Thursday or Friday to do show notes for this, where we you know we come up with these little talking points. So again, you know to to reference the just not getting lost uh, during the course of the episode and kind of staying on track. And he looks up, you know, he does Daryl price mountain bike. And he's like, like there was genuine surprise in his voice that like you had like some pretty cool, like you had some wins, you had a ton of podiums, like you had some cool shit um, when you were doing your mountain bike thing. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> it like, uh, it's funny. So, there's this thing, the disc analysis, it kind of tells you like what type of person you are, but it tells you what type of person you are in your adapted state, in your native state. And so like when I'm in the gym and I have somebody come in who talks about like, you know, back in the day I used to race bikes and do this. I was like, oh dude, that's awesome, man. Like let's tap into that inner like competitiveness and that, that racer in you and let's move that today. And like, let's work on where we're at. And so I'm super adapted to the, you know, but then when like when I'm not at work, <laughs> I'm just my normal self, right? Like I've met you, we've talked, we've spent, you know, several conversations together. Like we know each other and I didn't, don't get to see that history on your face, right? Like I just don't. And so when I looked it up, I was like, Holy shit. Like he literally like was like better than I'll ever be. It, it, like his accolades are cooler than any accolade I'll I'll see myself writing down. And the pictures are phenomenal. Yeah. We'll, yeah. Find, like, we'll, we'll be sure and post them. I on. can't believe his hands actually weren't touching each other. The handlebars were so narrow. It <laughs> was some, uh, like um, Those are the bikes that I grew up like like looking in Looking at in magazines, like, like fantasy they were, bikes, like to you they were like point. playmate models. Totally, like. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, so. like, and you had number one, ra- like you, had the, you had the number so one, like plate. number one plate. Which, by the way, for those of you that don't race, like this number one plate isn't who signed up first, right? On a rec race, <laughs> it's this is all seated. So, like you know, Nino Scherter has the one plate, yeah. or Vanderpool or something, and you had the one plate. There's definitely some series where you know early on i would have led um i didn't win any of the um the national series or world cup series to be number one but i definitely was two and four and whatnot at the end of the year um the handlebars were 21 inches wide so so what what is that like um 56 centimeters or something well yeah i mean yeah that's about right and now they're 800 yeah 
So it, it's <laughs> we'll, a little different. We'll put a pin in that because we are going to talk to you. Just be, I, I kind, we kind of wanted to go through a progression of like what your career was, and then eventually get to like your thoughts on gear. Obviously, massively different to what you started on. Sure. Um, when you were doing road racing, was there like an actual like road race scene? In the U.S.? Oh, it was... it was, And when I say road race, I mean, like, long... Di- not crits. Like, the crit scene is massively strong right now, but the road race scene is not. Yeah, and in Northern California, there there were definitely areas... Um, you know, Northern California was definitely hot. And mm-hmm. I was... A, so as a junior, you know, like, whatever, 15, 16, 17 years old, um, that was a hotbed. Um, Colorado was a hotbed. Southern California. I mean, things that aren't that uncommon even today... Um, the East coast was really strong. Um, you know, and then, you know, there were other, like the Midwest was, so I rode for the Seven Eleven junior team back then, um, and moved on to it, uh, you know, kind of an extension of that or, or competitor to that, which was the Plymouth Reebok cycling team. Um, and those were that was all on road cross yep, road. And I mean, cross, you know, sure. I rode of, cross, but it was like, you know, it was. Just they happened to be up the street from my house. I mean, okay. I, I did win a couple national championships in cross and rode the world championships as a junior too. Um, but you know, that was no mostly, yeah, no, I mean, it's a big deal. I, yeah. And uh, I mean, they're bigger deals now. Right. I mean, when you say it, it sounds just pretty cool, but grown a lot, right? so much. Um, and then it was, you know, there were also those hot, but hotbeds regionally. Um, and they, they weren't that different. I mean, you know, the McCormick brothers were racing and, you know, like I, I remember going to the, my first um, Olympic training center camp. It was called December camp. I was maybe 15. Um, the first time I came to race in Colorado, um, a really good friend of mine, even today, Troy Miller, we still do quite a bit of quite a bit of riding together. Um, you know, him and his mom picked me up at the airport, you know, at Stapleton. Um, and my first trip was actually to Durango, which I moved to and lived for um, eight years down there. So that's um, why you're fast. That's it. Like, we brought this up several times. No, seriously. If you see Durango on a racer, on any race, you're like, he's winning. Like, it's it's the worst, dude. Like, those guys are just shit. Beast mode. Um, There's just, you know, in that... uh, So I moved there in 1990, right when the World Championships were happening. And the, you know, it was so... There were so many people to ride with, and everybody was essentially, you know doing the exact same thing. So if you had a, you know, four or five hour day that you needed to put in on the road bike, you had friends to do yeah, it with. 20 people lined totally. up to do if it. You, if you needed to do, you know, two hours of intensity, there's yeah. also six guys to go. And and probably two girls and both of them could drop you yeah, on any like, given day. Like a bad habit. <laughs> um, so I need to, because kind of the, the start of when I got like completely obsessed with mountain bikes was Tread the Movie. Is this your autograph <laughs> moment right now? Is, are we going autograph moment? No, here? no, not necessarily. I think we should. Um, it's cool. So yeah, I grew up in New Orleans where there is no mountain biking. Um, I happen to be lucky enough to be associated like the, my neighborhood shop, Bicycle Michaels, somehow was like super into the mountain bike thing. There was this kid Ian um, who was like one of the first people I ever knew who got sponsored. He was sponsored by Voodoo when like Voodoo was like their own company. Yeah, um, Joe Murray. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then I think later maybe Indie Fab. Back when Indie Fab was cooler than it is now. <laughs> um, and then uh, this guy, uh, uh, Jorge, um, Deaf George. He's deaf. He can't hear anything. But uh, he will blow your doors off on a bike anytime. Anyway, so I was just lucky enough to be like again. My neighborhood shop was a mountain bike shop somehow in like the flattest part of the country. Um. And so a lot of us like clung to like trial stuff like um, Hans Ray, GT, all that. They were a GT shop. So we got a lot of that. But um, the thing that like really locked it in for me was Tread the Movie. And you were in that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, everybody was in everybody it. Everybody was in mountain it. Bikes everybody then, was or, in or it. All the pros but for sure. You, I think you had probably one of the coolest segments to somebody who lived in the Southeast which was riding it down a mountain in the snow on a mountain bike. Okay. Right. I don't even you don't I mean, remember that. <laughs> I, I remember the movie yeah. um, for sure. I don't remember the segment at yeah. all. But. So you guys, it was you and like a who's who of, of mountain bikers of the day. Yeah. Um, but you guys were mountain biking down just a snow covered 
you know, Colorado mountain on your mountain bikes. Yeah. That's not. And I was just like, I mean, I don't even know how old I was when tread came out or when we saw it. And like, who knows how long it had been out by the time somebody got me the VHS tape. Right. <laughs> Looping at the bike shop. <laughs> totally. Uh, I do remember riding in the snow with cantilever brakes and, and essentially like brake pads being disintegrated by by the snow and the crystals. So don't do that. If yeah, you, no, you know, <laughs> just uh, don't ride cantilever brakes. But, you know, but do definitely descend in the snow. We got to do that at Breck Epic last yeah, year. And yeah, that was exciting. All the rage. Yeah. And, and I know you guys love fat bikes. I mean, I just rode oh, mine geez. in Evergreen. Um, uh, and that's a blast. So, because <laughs> you live in Evergreen, you can I, fat bike out from your house. <laughs> it's when you have to drive your fat bike to said trail where you're like, this is a, but there's something about riding. 1994 is when that came out. All right. 1994. I had to find out. That's that syncs up about right when I was like losing my mind over bikes. Um, so that was just cool. Like, um, I don't know. I felt the need to bring it up because you were riding. That's a lot too back funny. Then. I back to Justin's comment though, like having no idea ish. Yeah. Um, like not necessarily who I was, but or just like, like what, but you what had I done, done yeah. on a bike. So, um, I met Justin. He's got a cool gym. My buddy Harley goes there and Harley <laughs> lost a bunch of weight, looks really good. I'm kind of a tubby little guy. So I go to Justin's gym. I can't do shit. Um, and these like <laughs> these older people are like, oh, cool. Well, it's great to see you here yeah. and <laughs> Pat uh, Nick for sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and so, yeah. Uh, and I, my son plays hockey with their grandkid and it's just a small world. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but oh, that's right. Cause you know, uh, Andy. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So th- like Justin sees me at a gym, you know, has no, when he <laughs> hears that I had been a professional mountain biker and actually decent, but he saw me at a gym. He's like, Holy shit. We're, we got a <laughs> well, long way I, to go, man. That's when I was like, I think I could be a pro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you turn pro the next year, right? <laughs> no, no. In, in honesty though, um, th- that's actually what you see in a lot of people who you got really good at that sport. Um, you started it really young and you stayed in the sport. Hell, you're still in the sport, right? Like I came upon you, um, last fall on a mountain bike ride and you're coming down black bear. Oh yeah. And you're, like I saw in the and this isn't like I'm not trying to build you back up because I crushed you um, in the gym. <laughs> this just being honest, I saw from afar this guy coming down all the switchbacks <clears throat> out of you know Deer Creek Canyon towards Black Bear, and and I'm like, dude, that guy is moving that bike so well. Like there's you can see like when somebody can pump a turn and lay a handlebar and like that you can just tell they're painting the trail. It's it's beautiful. It's poetry, right? And I see this guy doing it. And it's just whoosh, whoosh. I'm like, dude, that guy's a fucking rider, you know? And I'm with a group of a bunch of like nerd buckets on a, a pre-wedding ride that can't ride well. So I'm like the guy, you know? And I see you coming down and I go, dude. And then it comes up and it's you. And I'm like, oh man. And that was the first time I got to see or that I've ever seen, like seen you on the bike. And I'm like, so I get it, but we get a lot of athletes who all they do is the sport and then you get them into movement patterns that are fundamental for like proper biomechanics, right? And moving the body well, and especially forward moving sports. So like running and cycling, they don't know how to use their butt and their hamstrings, can't sit back, can't hinge. Um, and like if people were learned that or taught that younger, they'd make their body so much more efficient in those sports. So it's like, you know, you won some national championship, but that Tour de France thing, like, had I been able to be around in the 80s and get your ass to work, you would have been, you know what I mean? So, and that's what, that's what training does for the sport taught athlete. So, I didn't pick there's, on you. There's no doubt that, you know, we're so much further along and um, in all of the sports where it's not one dimensional, totally. right? I mean, yeah. we, you know, there's, and... I may have even said this to you, Harley, but you know, there, and I'm sure we'll get to it in, in this, you know, in the, the, the drug part of, <laughs> of cycling. And I know you guys have had this conversation yeah. before too, but you know, like when I was a kid, you just went out and rode, you know, and, yeah. and you read in someone's book that you're supposed to do 15 hours a week or 20 hours a week or whatever. And that's what you did. And, and there were, you know, like Monday's a rest day and Tuesday you do this, yeah. you know, like that's a pretty, normal formula for any book in the 80s or 90s um and it didn't change that much when you know the like mid to late 90s came the next thing you know there's not you know you don't have 
a coach to help you um, with your cycling. Now, the next thing you know, you got a doctor. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. that's when things really went mm-hmm. wacky. Yeah. Um, and, and so not to jump too far forward, and I, I definitely want to stay on track here, but um, the, you know, like when, when we realized, a lot of us U.S. racers realized that, you know, people were using doctors instead of coaches, that was a pretty big red flag. And I was young, but had ridden for quite some time. So this is like 1998 now. I had a, or 97 maybe, and I had a deal to ride for um, the Cadillac Katerra team. Like, oh, yeah. You know, I kind of that. like one more year, you know, like Kinderil put, <laughs> put it together again. And he, he just raced domestically, but all, yeah. you know, um, the National Championship Series, the Colorado Point Series, all that fun stuff. And um, I I had never gone to college. So um, racing and the industry was really my outlet to make it um, on the outside too. <laughs> so I was super scared and I raced against really good riders and a few of them were able to retire out, you know, like, right. I mean, John Tomac, he probably makes more money now being his kid's agent and trainer than he d- did as yeah. a mountain biker, but he was a very, very well-paid rider as yeah. well. But Ned Over and Julie Furtado, Dave Weens, it's, you know, all these people. Um, and so they were all my peers and I was pretty certain that if they went into the job market, you know, Daryl was going to be mowing lawns, which I love mowing lawns. Like that's my happy time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't want to necessarily wanted, make to, that. Want nine, that to be the job. Nine lawns. The career. Yeah, so, deal. Um, essentially at the, at that time, 1998, and I was kind of putting feelers out there and, you know, like I said, I grew up in Santa Cruz and there were many of these companies around and it was kind of just like an area that I could move back to and know that I could fit into an environment pretty easily. So I left Durango and went back to Santa Cruz to work for Giro in-house. And I was the um, marketing coordinator for um, Giro snow products. Um, and essentially at that time, that was um, a, a snow helmet. They were going to... There was one snow helmet and that was it? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was called the Ravine. There was really... There were a few brands, but in well, no, I mean, there was one Giro. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, no, it. they had one shape that had about ten names, <laughs> um, and so we had like um, one with vents, one right. without vents, some with paint jobs, some without paint right. jobs. But this is 1998, and um, there were a few deaths, um, and and that industry just kind of went bananas. And Giro was developing it for quite some time, and I just kind of landed at the right time um, to you know, take this job and move back home. Mm. Um, and then that, you know, materialized into other industry jobs. Nice. How uh, did you, uh, when that, when that whole, cause I don't know how, you know, we, we did have a whole drug episode about yeah. kind of like what you would do, um, when you were facing that and you're like, well, I, and, and I was going to ask, like, like I, I have, it's so much more publicized in the road bike world like the doping, like any, any aspect of doping. Uh, so much so that I think, uh, Dr. Ferrari just was in the news like two weeks ago again for, uh, Alberto Contador, I think okay. I, I may be wrong. So don't, sorry. But like, I, I think that was the, the headline is like, like the, like WADA is investigating the guy who got Lance arguably seven victories um, in probably the worst doping era of road cycling. Um, he's like back in the news, but like, I don't feel like I either it's less publicized or just doesn't happen as frequently in the mountain bike world. Yeah. And and you were riding in at that level in that era. Yeah. Did you see it? Like, and I would never ask you to say any names or anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, domestically. No. Okay. Um, is the answer really, um, there were there's a couple Canadians that might have gone <laughs> off the rails a little. Yeah, um, that's not that we don't consider that. Uh, <laughs> other than our sponsor, Norco Bicycles, which we love, yeah. love you guys. Thank you. You're awesome. None that's of the riders rode uh, for Norco. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, the uh, it was when the Europeans came into the yeah. U.S. mountain scene, and it's not like the Thomas Frischnecks and the Henrik Dernies. You know, it was, it was, yes, exactly. It was that generation of like, I mean, I can tell you that, you know, we would be doing a race in Europe and, you know, 
these guys would be essentially going two to three times faster than you on a climb because you know they can't ride the technical shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, like, and when I say not ride it, like, I mean, either walk it or stumble, stumble, stumble Mm -hmm. through it. Um, Those races back then too, you know, we're talking like two to to three hour um, races. They were, they were long races. They, you know, they weren't the hour and a half kind of, you know, yeah. They're like Um, border, like now they're almost borderline dirt crits. Like uh, the lap times are a little bit longer, but you're still doing six, seven, eight, nine laps. Totally. I, I, it would be, it, it would be interesting to see if, you know, some of the people that were around back then yeah. where they would have been. I mean, and I don't know how many of us could have beat Tomac ever yeah. or well, Rishi Graywall. Let's or, do that. Cause I, I actually wanted, so I think from my generation of guys growing up mountain biking, like you could make a real strong argument that John Tomac was for that generation, probably the best mountain biker all around. Like, yeah. I would say even today's generation, like, I mean, well, if you're talking about like what he was capable of, I mean, nobody, I mean, it wasn't so specialized then. Right. right. And, and I don't mean the bike yeah, company, no. but you know, the cross country <laughs> yeah. guy wasn't, you know, I mean, we all, I'm not really me, but there were guys that did, did everything. XC and downhill. Yeah. And Tomac was a, and he was, he was a, he was a downhill. Beast. Um, I mean, he was just a beast everywhere. Yeah. And um, he could climb, but he also, I mean, you know, he was riding 20 plus hours a week doing that, trying to also race on the road, you know, and there weren't very many people crossing over at that point either, at least with success. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll identify, I, I, and you're like, you're, are you friends with Tomac or are you? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I didn't text him this weekend, but I text him, (laughs) I pretty much text him every week. So like my, my heroes in mountain biking were John Tomac and Ned Overin. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, we've talked about Ned Overin, the long, yeah, you I know, mean, yeah. Ned Overin and blew my doors off at uh, Iron Horse a handful of years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He'd do it tomorrow, too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and every day afterwards. Yeah. 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 Like he took, Twice se- on Tuesdays. He took second, I think, that year uh, in Iron Horse Classic to like, uh, you know, like a 21 year old phenom kid, right? But he was like second right Yeah. Like him. Seb Coos. Yeah. 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 So, he wins a stage of the Vuelta. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And, um, and Ned was like right there. Yeah. So, yeah. And they get, so, I was kind of going to be like, well, first of all, how cool, like to me, it's super cool that you raced and with those guys to you, you're just like, oh, whatever. I went for a bike ride with my buddies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even, no, I mean, Johnny was definitely a star. Yeah. Like I think all of us were a little jealous, but all looked up to him. I mean, he was that big of a star when he won the worlds in Italy in, uh, 91 in Il Choco, the cross country worlds. I mean, he couldn't even get out of his hotel room. He had to go out the window. Like wow, it was, I mean, crazy. in Italy's kind of bananas anyway in, yeah. in that way. But, and then in the early nineties, I mean, mountain biking, you know, that was a, that was a growing little crazy bubble. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, do you think his star power kind of like made the way for like Sean Palmer and then Aaron Gwen, like being able to like be like have a, a somebody in a, a relatively niche sport with fans and whatnot yeah have like some star power behind them yeah i mean you know he was johnny, a little bit behind johnny uh, definitely carried all of us like yeah. uh, i mean you think about um you know at some there were times when you know you're in like contract negotiation and they're like yeah we really wanted you and but Tomac took all our money and you're like, ah, fuck, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but he he also deserved it. I mean, in a huge way, but he also, you know, there were years there that a whole bunch of us made six figures and there were even expert riders that were getting paid. So there was, you know, I mean, even from like little brands like Ringlay, you know, like we're all involved and people were, I mean, like, I don't want to say it was the dot com, but you know, like there's there a boom. Were, there was a boom yeah. for you know brands like Barracuda. They you know they like there was just some rich kids that their parents had an office supply company and they like it happened to be one of the biggest companies in the world. And they're like, yeah, man, we graduated college. I guess we're gonna start a mountain bike company. Yeah. And they moved to Durango. And next thing you know, they got a mountain bike company. They yeah. didn't last forever. I, I they had, partied. I had they one. were super fun. <laughs> um, 
you know, but uh, yeah, there was like a, there was kind of one of those things like we got to get to Durango, kind of like, you know, the dot-com era has to get to the Silicon Valley. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. So there definitely was that. And in, in, you know, Durango group rides were, you know, definitely like the who's who of the mountain bike world. And yeah, they've been so fun. You know, that's how, um, as, a, as an aside, they, you know how so many of the world's top marathoners come from Africa, you know, and they have like, uh, they, they just dominate, right? Like certain companies, com- countries dominate and they do these Sunday rides and it's like, Hey, be on this Ridge, right? Sunday morning, 6am. Everyone can ride. You got Olympians, you got super, like the best in the world and you hang on for as long as you can. And that's why like, yeah. you see the, those groups yeah. continuing to produce Olympians. Cause like, Hey, hang on. It sounds like that's how Durango would have been. Well, and I think Durango is still that way. I mean, yeah. if you look at some of the kids, I mean, literally this Seb Kuss guy, I mean, I knew his, I knew his dad, you know, he was an old Nordic skier. Um, and by old, I mean old. Um, <laughs> Lungs for days, dude. Nordic skiers. Seb came along yeah. like uh, a lot later. And <laughs> I don't know Seb at all, but uh, I do know the, I do know that, you know, Durango has pumped out some phenomenal cyclists, um, you know, because of people like Ned living there and Johnny and Travis Brown and, yeah. you know, Julie Furtado, Ruthie Mount- Mathis. I mean, it's, it's, it's it berserk how the, many. The mountain bike trails directly out of the college campus right there in town. I mean, those trails are awesome. Yeah, they're right there. They they did such a great job, you know, like embracing that whole thing, starting with the world championships and Ed Zink's kind of vision. And, you know, even today, this Trails 2000 group down there is is crazy. Their initial, um, you know, like uh, pledge was, I think, 2000 trails within um, La Plata County by the year 2000. And I don't know what it could be now, but. Literally, you can ride for days and in town, like right. come back and refuel and keep going. You know, it's uh, it's a pretty special place for sure. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I got stranded I, there I need one to go year. There. I got stranded there <laughs> one <been>. year <laughs> on a foiled attempt to do the Colorado Trail. Yeah, and uh, and uh, my wife, we had been there uh, several times before, and she just goes, "Dude, you love Drango, you love bike, just stay there." I mean, she's like giving me a pass for a week. To, she's like, uh, "Just yes, stay, there, stay in the park if you need to, and just ride it." And I, I mean, I thought about it, but yeah. uh, it's awesome down there. So, um, so kind of the second part to the 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 discussion about like John Tomac is, I think we have to have the discussion of John Tomac in his prime on modern equipment, like. Who's faster? Like the modern talent? Like, what do you think? Ooh. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I would. It's an age old question, but no, it, like, no, you I know think, these guys. Yeah, yeah. I would say. Um, do you think the training now, like what goes into being a mountain bike athlete now, um, would create enough of a gap for somebody who just has the natural ability and talent? I guess if you're talking like. We can even say downhill. Yeah, right? the, and the that's downhill what I Johnny. Think. Yeah, um, probably beats Gwyn. I, I mean, I don't know Aaron Gwyn, um, yeah. but I know how good Johnny was, and mm-hmm. I know how janky his equipment was. <laughs> um, I think everybody's equipment comparatively is pretty janky. Well, Johnny though took some flyers. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I, you know, I I can't even remember. Like he had a sunglass brand, like maybe. Gosh, was it ice or something? I S E, um, you know, and he ended up back on Oakley cause yeah. he was, it was like, uh, the jerk, you know, with the, with the little opti grab, <laughs> it was like, it was like giving Johnny, Johnny was cross-eyed or yeah. something. Um, but no, I mean, he, he definitely had, you know, the ability to have multiple sponsors where a guy like Ned, um, because he was branded specialized, was they were head to toe. Yeah. Um, I mean, he had a few of his own things and Travis kind of was the same way with right. Trek and, um, you know, a lot of people had, um, you know, a single sponsor that was a large manufacturer like specialized or Trek. Um, and then other people like Johnny would go like, I'll do Raleigh or Giant and then I'll put my own program together with Tioga or Shimano or SRAM or whoever. Which is kind of the norm these days almost now. Yeah, I mean, unless you're like Nino and you ride for Scott. Scott And, um, you know, so back then, you know, I mean, gosh, I think, you know, Johnny rode like a Tioga fork for a while, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, just stuff that never even made it 
to the marketplace. Yeah. Um, which was cool because we were all in on that development early. I mean, even technically Rock Shocks and Manitou back then were yeah. pretty much like garage product. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't. But I mean, like for for me, you know, 14 years old, like all the shit on his bike, like you, unquestionably was the shit to have. Yeah, oh, you yeah. wanted it. Like, yeah, yeah. You needed the Magura HS33 race line yellow. Yeah, the Farmer the, John tire. The Farmer John tires, <laughs> which are sh- <laughs> just not a great. Yeah, like, I mean. But that's why they were probably getting paid so well. Yeah. I mean, you, um, you talk, you're like, oh, most was making six figures. And I look at it now and I'm like, dude. I, I just know briefly amount of people that I know how tight budgets are. And oh, people gosh, like, yeah. It's so tight. And you're thinking, dude, if several of you are making six figures, like back then, there must have just... I mean, it, it was Not such that a, it was free for all, but I mean, golly, that's a lot of cash. No, there was a lot of people coming in. There's um, a lot of money. Just the product sponsorship alone. But then once, you know, and I kind of, you know, I didn't have tons of this, but, you know, there were specialized was sponsored by Mountain Dew, you yeah. know, and there was card car manufacturers that were pumping money. And when I rode for Trek, we were sponsored. We had Volkswagen. Trek VW. Yeah, um, so that's why I saw your yeah. Trek VW team. Yeah, exactly. Um, to so, reference the Cadillac team. Yeah. I mean it was just weird. There was a there was a there was a Ralph Lauren team. Right. Yep. Um I yep. mean it was just like there were businesses taking a stab at this mountain biking thing that like now they'd be like what like Ralph Lauren mountain bike team, like get out of here. Like who cares? They totally. Would have the best. They would have the best. Kits. Their, their kits look their so clean. Kits would be, like <laughs> I want to see a road bike kit with a collar on it. And I think Ralph Lauren, I think you're due. You got a house here in Colorado. So like help us out. He's got a house. Uh, out when like, he uh, had, you know, ride. like they, they had pretty, you know, like Mark Howe road for him. And he mm-hmm. was always kind of just the, pretty boy. There was definitely some teams. And, that were, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah like, they, uh, I mean, not only were they, could haul ass on a bike, yeah. but they were also good looking guys but, uh, and gals. But to, um, to reference like, uh, so Roger, who we is, you know, one of I our, can't wait to meet this legend. <laughs> is he going to be on the ride on Saturday or Sunday? He's what day Sunday. are we riding? He, he's, he's not here. He's in town not here. Yet, he's but not in um, end of the month, right? Yeah. Ish. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, so he worked, he was, I would say as far as like racing, maybe like one tier below you, but yeah. he was in the same part of the country. Um, he worked for specialized, he worked for answer Manitou and he worked for SRAM. Um, and you know, he's like, when he was all the way in on, uh, doing SRAM stuff, he's like, you know, we'd go to these races and we'd set up the factory trailer and we literally had Timbuktu messenger bags full of drivetrains and we were just supposed to give them away. Like if we could take a Shimano drivetrain off, we could give away a top end SRAM drivetrain on the spot. Brakes, shifters, derailers, like all of it. And like we just had 300 bags of SRAM shit just sitting in a trailer to be given away. So it's just like, it's so different now. Yeah. Those guys, when they came in, that was, you know, originally grip shift. Mm -hmm. I mean, the five dudes that went to all the Norba Nationals and World Cups are. I think most of them are still with the company. I mean, I think one of them just left. They've made some huge buys and yeah i mean what a what a brand you know and i know we'll get to some of this technology too um which i, I always love it um to talk about as well so yeah uh well yeah, let's go ahead and move yeah, off of it. the old stuff like we and this was part of our when we were chatting a couple of days ago mapping this out i was like you know the old race stuff's awesome and i think people who have um I think people that are deeply connected with this idea of the sport um would like love that history lesson right learn the deal but for those of us in the present, you know, the thought is, okay, you've been like cyclocross wasn't, Hey, let's go do this fun thing. That was like step one from getting off the road onto dirt. Right. And then it became mountain bike. And so you've literally seen every step, like all of it. And I was telling Harley, this fact, uh, read this book, perfection point, which is a great read. And they take 10 athletic feats and they say, okay, what will be the upper human limit? in these feats. And so one of them is, um, like the hundred meter, right? A sprint. And so they take the fastest man alive, Usain Bolt, and they say, how can we optimize him as an athlete? So they would like, change his body. Right. And they talk about crazy birth defects where somebody has like super, super short legs, but really long arms for like a swimmer, you know? And so they say, how can we per- perfect the human doing this sport? And then how can we perfect the environment? So 
highest elevation you can run at, uh, maximum tailwind speed, like all of these stipulations for the uh, IOC and say, this will be the fastest a human will ever run the 100 meters or hit a baseball or throw a fastball. And one of them was a golf, a, a drive, a tee shot. And the longest tee shot that'll ever be hit was X. And while investigating that, with all of the evolution of the game of golf and the equipment and all that stuff, smash factor on balls, all the stuff, the average golfer's average handicap worldwide hasn't moved at all. So in all of this tech that's happened from wooden clubs to what we have now, which are just like crazy sonic boom clubs, um, the average score is like still exactly the same. And when, when I brought that up to Harley, we had a cool conversation about there's no way it's like that with bikes because the, the evolution has been so wild. So we wanted to get your, like with that in, the, in your mind, like what's your overall vibe on where they were, where they are now and have they changed the rider or what the rider can do? Or is it just like, oh, this is the next cool fancy thing that Harley's trying to sell us? <laughs> Ooh, man that's Big loaded um, sorry yeah i'm like, always blown away in. by how much you read like i, oh, I know yeah. you sleep a lot and i know you wake up really early to go to gym <laughs> i don't know where you read um but that's awesome um the technology then to today is you know i mean there are a few things that i couldn't live without um and we could probably get into that in a second but um you know, I, I don't, I mean, on an, on a pure uphill, you know, road bike is probably, you know, a little different. Um, man, that's a, it's just, it's kind of fascinating actually to think about, but, um, I could see just, you know, like, I'm shoot, doesn't Greg LeMond still have the fastest tour de France time trial? We could Google it, but when he beat Fignon in '89 to win the Tour de France oh, by dude, he had, two so seconds much, or whatever, there was so much emotional charge from the. That was a Superman. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Like, and he had right some then. tech too, but he was the first one to do the uh, the tri bars. He yeah, the exactly. tri bars. Everyone was like, uh, "Should we do that or not?" And he tucked in and, and an arrow helmet. And yeah, Fignon yeah, yeah. Didn't it was have also the last time that there was a time trial on the last day of the Tour de France. They need to bring that back, by the way. <laughs> that is such... I mean, that so, story is... So uh, we have a lot of people who are new to cycling as a sport. Can you tell them a little bit about that that upset, that Le Mans upset? Well, I, I mean, I don't know how... So there was a, a French rider. Um, they weren't on the same team anymore, but they had been teammates previously, um, Laurent Fignon. And... Uh, Essentially, the Tour de France ends the day before it ends. the race ends <laughs> yeah. in Paris. Um, but now, this, now. Yeah, this year, um, 1989, am I right on that? Um, it finished with a time trial in Paris. And Greg had to win by 52 seconds and it or was something like, a, like a, that. It, there's no way he could do it. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, yeah. Fignon like, was a really no good time trialist. Yeah, there's no way he can It can't this. be done. Yeah, yeah. 1989. Um, so... Greg had, as you, as you said, Justin, he had tri bars, um, or arrow bars. bars. Um, and they were, they were like, uh, a guy, Scott developed them. Scott, the bike company now. (laughs) Yeah. But it was just a guy named Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the, well, no, I think that was their last name. I should know this because I worked there for a little while, but, um, I can't even remember yesterday. Um, so anyway, uh, Fignon was French. He was to win this Tour de France. Um, and Greg just had the ride of his life. And one, was it six seconds, eight seconds? It wasn't it was, by it a was lot. Bare, it was like... But he had to he had to narrow, beat him by 50-something seconds yeah, had, to yeah. win by six or whatever. And this is after coming back from... Yeah, being like crazy, shot. being shot and, yeah, by a yeah. hunting accident. And so, and, uh, you know, he basically lost... Every, anyhow... The story's insane. Yeah, it's it a cool. truly is. So real quick, but on the the fastest time trial in the Tour de France is held by Rohan Dennis, Stage One, 2015, uh, with an average speed of 34 and a half miles an hour. Okay, so what what was the um, total distance though? Uh, do, do, do. it doesn't really. All right. Matter, well, yeah. the one that Le Mans yeah. won was it was long. a big one though, right? It was, yeah. a, and and it was. And even, you know, when Lance was kind of bagging on him, you know, he was saying like, well, Greg still has the fastest Tour de France yeah. individual stage yeah. record, you know, even though it was, you know, Greg was whatever, yeah. 15 you, years before that. You talk about me reading, if you have the, dude, Greg LeMond's book that he came out with was... I'm about halfway through it. Oh my God. It's Wait, which one? A new so one? Good. 
Um, yeah, it's new-ish. I mean, it's been out for a couple it of years, I guess. It came out for like guess. two years ago. Um, but it's, dude, it is, it was one of the coolest reads that, that I've come across in, in quite a while because it gave, it's called The Comeback. That's it. And it gave such a deep insight into it. And then it went past Tour de France. Like it went into like, you know, him losing his bikes because of Lance and all oh, that yeah. stuff. So like, oh, yeah. it's just, you, you hear the story and at the end of the day, you got this like Ken doll, perfect American that just went there and, and did the damn thing. Yeah. What you he know? did is, I mean, and there's a couple before him too, yeah. but he was the guy, he was, he was the one that made me think I could do the tour de France. And I would have never thought that when yeah. I was 11 years old, That's but, cool. um, the, the technology side though, you know, back to like the, you know, Tomac, I would take, you know, I mean, even today, like, you know, I haven't ridden with him in quite some time, but you know, I've ridden like Dutch Creek, Jones Creek with him and his son, Eli and some other friends in Durango. Those guys shred yeah to this day yeah um, well, Eli, so maybe if you're a motocross fan the name eli tomac means something to you even if john tomac doesn't and sure yeah so i mean eli's a badass oh yeah yeah and that's what i text johnny about every week i yeah. i leave him alone once uh supercross and outdoor series <laughs> is over but you know i'm always uh just saying great job or yeah, yeah that, kid's, a, that or, kid's an animal oh yeah he's a badass um and just a super good family um so I don't know if you had specific questions regarding technology, but well, I know that we all kind of, you know, I listen to your guys' podcast. I laugh my ass off. I think it's hilarious. But there are a few things, even, you, you know, Andy talked about it before um, with Dirt Smart. But, you know, I would um, I would definitely not give up tubeless tires. No. Um, I wouldn't give up a dropper post. I'd actually probably give up disc brakes over maybe even both of those things. <laughs> oh, wow. Um I don't disagree. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, at all. And full suspension, um, I would take, I mean, I love full suspension and I've been riding it since, since I quit racing really. Um, so 98, I kind of got on a Santa Cruz super light and I've been riding basically full suspension since I've had hardtails also, but not, that's not like my daily grinder. Um, so, you know, any of that stuff, um, I remember when Santa Cruz came out with, a carbon bike and i was like oh it's only a pound lighter <laughs> like really you know and um you know the, like i just yeah. can't even believe that you, everything you would... was steel or aluminum or carbon yeah metal, um, metal it took bikes. a long time um to get there um and the fact that we have like you know kind of no issues with carbon like people are still a little bit mystified by it like well i think it's you know it's I just don't want to break it. At least like, once a week, Daryl. Yeah. I still have to like I it, it's get weird. somebody there. We talk about this all the time where, you know, we're at like the pointy end of the spear in this world of biking, even if, you know, obviously there's people tippy, more of a tip of the spear sure. than we are, but like we're at the pointy end of the spear. And I had one of my employees, newer employees, I brought another bike by and was was riding, and he goes, "Oh, is that one carbon?" And I go, "Dude, just like across the board, like all my bikes are carbon." Okay? <laughs> just like, assume it's just if it's a bike, it's carbon. It's not going to not be like, why would I not have a carbon bike? Right. Like, when, yeah. but it's like my skis have metal edges. Right. Like, <laughs> right. 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 So I did uh, buy a steel gravel bike. No, I know you did buy it, but you you bought it kind of because you're it's a little, like you're a cool guy, and yeah. that bike's you're not going to flip that one, right? Nah, like that's going to be yours. That bike for a while. is so cool. Yeah. So. um but yeah, I mean, some of these things we take for granted, you know. Yeah, I, I remember. But I mean, come on, dude! Like they were triple rings. I know that's where I was like, just yeah. gonna go Why there. I was just gonna go there, me, like, like one by drivetrain. I remember. I mean, Travis Brown was really instrumental in kind of getting that off the ground, um, racing it long before there was even narrow wide. You know, He'd racing like, one by oh, one yeah, by. Yeah, there was like, a handful in, of pros that um, I remember. Mark Weir. He was like, take your front derailleur off. Yeah, and this was in like 2010. Yeah, yeah. And Travis was probably a few years before that where, yeah. you know, he had like, um, well, on a single speed, he used like um, compact discs to like keep the chain from coming off on the back, you know, like sandwich them <laughs> yeah. on there, you know. And when we did one by on cross bikes way back in the day, we had to grind down bigger chain rings grind all the teeth or, off of uh, them like a protector to, to do guide. a chain guard on yeah. it so that it wouldn't fall off yeah um, but i remember those guys doing that um you know and i remember going from three to two and then two to one um and i 
specifically remember my first ride on one by and reaching for my front derailleur, um, but not really needing it on a road bike. I'm not totally there yet. Yeah. I still have two by on my, well, I don't even ride Your a road gravel. bike anymore. Yeah. My gravel bike, yeah. uh, my drop bar bike. Um, so I still have a two by on that. Um, maybe I'm just old school. No, I, I am I, old school. I, after a year of riding, yeah, after a year of riding on a one by on my gravel bike last year, I was like, for what I want this bike to do, like if I was racing cross, different situation. Totally. If I was doing a ton of backcountry gravel grinding, totally different situation. But for how that the way that I apply my gravel bike, I went back to a two by. Yeah, we talked about that. like if the gravel bike's going to replace a road bike yeah. in your quiver, and also be we yeah. said two by. Yep. Uh, yeah, and that's where I'm at. And I'm I running like a like bike. a thirty six forty eight gearing on the front. It's like it's still pretty small compared to like a road bike. You know, you probably I mean? know what mine is. I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't actually. I have a Stigmata. So oh, uh, it's, whatever it's probably they, the same because yeah. it's a GRX kit or is yours the Altegra kit? I might have a little nicer one. <laughs> oh, do you have the red one? <laughs> I might have a. The bike's green. No, or the, all the, of I mean the red drivetrain. <laughs> I might. Yeah, it has a couple batteries. Yeah. Um No, yeah. I just. Bikes. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I, dude, I was gonna when I thought we were gonna be running a little bit tighter than we are. I was gonna. I like the, you'll see that there's something crossed out on your show notes there. Yeah, I see that. Um, I just sometimes I just like to fuck with you. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I love that. We can't. I. I'd like to do that rabbit hole with Justin. Um, but not really, but not really. Officially, as of like basically between the last time we recorded and this episode, there is officially an e-bike world cup. So top top of the top e-bike world cup XC race series. Mm-hmm. I'm not down. <laughs> All right. So let me I, I'm gonna give you my response to that. I'm gonna give you my response to that in an example. Okay, so Things are changing in my life, and I don't know. Like as I age in the last four did months you, since did we did the e-bike episode, but uh, I got soft on Saturday. So Saturday, I I pre-rode the bulk of what our group ride will be, um, aged fellow winner, this coming Sunday, and I I pre-ride pre-rode a bulk of it just to make sure that everything seemed ironed out. And I'm glad I did because it resulted in Harley and I producing 45 directional arrows that'll be posted on Friday for the route because there are things where people could get kind of off a bit. And then we've got these uh, pavement princess routes versus hammer routes. And so it's kind of fun. And so we have these options. And so in writing it, I was like, this is great. And I'm starting to take notes, right? And I get up with my notes at 45 arrows. Well, now I realize I'm hosting a snowshoe hike for the gym on Saturday and then the rides on Sunday. So I'm going to have to go place all these arrows on Friday, but these areas aren't accessed by vehicle. Like you're going to have to ride it. And I'm like, well, dude, now I'm looking at riding like 50 miles on Friday <laughs> and then snowshoe snow all day Saturday. <laughs> and then the 65 mile hammer event on Sunday, I'm like, dude, I, and I softened and I thought, I go, you know, is this like, is this the time that I go and I go, Harley, give me that Santa Cruz e-bike that just came out. And I go and I kind of do something fun on it, but pedal it to, to mount all these arrows, right? It's a like, tool. It's a tool for a trade. It's and no we longer talked about, exercise. It's right, a tool. It's a tool. And so we, so I got soft on it. And this is about halfway through the, the ride on Saturday. And I get ended up in like snow and mud and granny gear and just kind of spinning legs and grit, like just man grit. Just like I was growing hair on my chest as I was riding. Okay. <laughs> and when I finished that grit section, I go, there is no fucking way I'm getting on an e-bike. I will do this instead. I will put my road bike on my truck and I will drive to an access point, ride the stretch to put on the arrows, ride back to the truck, drive to another access point, all of that rigmarole just to avoid giving up the fabric of who I am and pedaling a battery. That said, Santa Cruz did just come out with a really cool <laughs> e-bike. How do you feel about e-bikes? Like, like I mean, I've been, I've been into them for a while. I've never ridden them. <laughs> right. Honestly, the first one, I mean, I do have, my wife and I both have fair days. We have townies. Yep. Yep. Um, totally different. Totally different. I yeah. agree. So I, agree with I ride a line um, commuter bike. I'm not like straving those segments, right? No, so like, no. Um, I can't wait to strava the shit out of my neighborhood though. <laughs> Cause there's a bunch of racers in the neighborhood. We have all private trails and I'm going to, I'm going to just go blast them. I need to come visit you and yes. ride your trails. Yeah. On e-bikes. We can ride pedal bikes too, but, yeah. um, Justin so, might fire me from the 
podcast if I ride, <laughs> yeah, if I ride an e-bike. Ride an e-bike on a trail and Strava it. I dare you. Go for I, it. I, I would ride an e-bike, but I would not Strava it. This is how the podcast will start next time. Hey, guys. Welcome back oh, to I'm No Ride Around. Uh, my name is Harley. Uh, this podcast is renamed Ride Around, and I no longer have a co-host. <laughs> <laughs> who's no. got the TM? Who who's, Whose show is this? Uh, it's it, our it's ours. Show. I mean, it was... I I think I approached you to do totally. it but then from there it's been like so if you got an e-bike and is he is he the host uh, i mean well, it's kind i feel of like, like i'd almost have to step away yeah like, i think like the yeah. respectable thing is to like you know you know just like step away from the office i, I, I think it would be you know? <laughs> it would be it was it would be uh, the the situation would be as disruptive i think to the world around us as if jay-z and beyonce broke up so I don't know if we can't sure what that means really, exactly. I'm gonna yeah, ask my no, daughter. Like yeah. ask her. Uh but that that, that wouldn't happen. It right. would um, it would ruin the fabric yeah, I of think, America. I think like if in that highly unlikely scenario, um I think the the right thing to do would be to step down. Yeah, it'd be retirement. Yeah, yeah it'd be retirement. Yeah. And I, then like start like a different podcast that's like I gave up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so back to, back to your original question, yeah. Harley. Like, um, I was into them before Santa Cruz. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I am into the commuter thing. And we don't, you know, we live in Morrison. We're not like, you know, city, downtown. But we do, you know, drive down the hill and you park. You came and ride. to a, a, a booze cruise night we did We've, once at the yeah. old shop. Oh, yeah. Um, Dude, I think the Calcoff, I rode a Calcoff in uh, Portland. Yep. And that was amazing. And, you know, when you're replacing a 35-mile commute in Europe, you know. Uh, yeah, super where company urban commuter. Up. Dude, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, that's the only way to do it. Um, but those mountain bikes that are downstairs. Yeah, I was thinking, I was like, dude, it would be kind of. <laughs> I'm, I'm into the road one. Soft. Yeah. Like over here, this the, this Orbea looks really good. Oh, but this is he's, so, eyeing, he's eyeing it up pretty hard so, for coming out with us on Sunday. <laughs> I'm right. Yeah, how far are we riding? Yeah, I might need to borrow it's, that it's thing. 65. Um, 65k? No, uh, no, 100k. Are you an American pro or are you a European pro? We speak in miles <laughs> we, and pounds. Well, bro. I just, I mean, 65 miles is a long yeah. way. I was hoping it was going to be you kilometers. Have, like you have all day, you know what well, I mean? Well, yeah, so I, for the yeah. better part. Uh, so, right. I, I, I was. On this pre-ride, I'm coming back up the Chatfield Dam, and this dude comes by me on a road bike. He comes by me and like blow, like dust me. Like I see his shadow because the way the sun is, and I'm like, dude, this guy's getting close to me. Get me. And uh, and so I kind of I start paddling a little bit, and I'm on the I'm on the stigmata, and I'm, I'm hammering, and then this dude just goes, whoom, and I knew without because it's uphill and it's relatively steep there. I'm like holding like 13 miles an hour. I go for a fact he's on the e-bike. He's yeah. on you e robot and I saw it was a Scott, so I don't know what their e-bike looks like. So I hammer to the top of the dam, and then I like super tuck, right? Like I basically plank on the seat to catch up to him. <laughs> and I catch up to the guy and go flying by him. I'm like, yeah, totally need bike because he maxed out his speed, right? And then he comes back up, and we're riding side by side. And I go, hey, man. And he's older too, right? Like quite a bit older than me. And he's got a Wish for Wheels kit on and stuff. And I go, yo, dude, that, that knee bike? And he's like, nope. And I'm like, damn. Son of a bitch. And then he goes, I've been in the gym all winter, man. I'm a perfect power to weight ratio i'm like i know but like you're 20 years older than me dude and he, <laughs> he just starts laughing and i find out he's like a golf pro in town and a ski instructor in vale and he used to race pro road oh, um, yeah, old man fitness. Yeah. and he's stupid guys. strong Those and old guys will get you so i get on his wheel at like 24 miles an hour and eventually then we're side by side talking again i was like oh man well it's great to meet you I invited him to the ride um thanks for making me feel insignificant he goes no man you're young and strong and i'm like whatever and then i just like i murdered myself you'll see my my zones like three minutes of nuked out because i had to drop him because i thought he dude he blew by me yeah then you're like i gotta turn right so he can pass me and then i'll jump back onto the bike (laughs) that was crazy so (laughs) i love it uh well we need to kind of wind down a little bit um but i kind of want to ask i I think just a, a fun thing pick of your history of bikes going back to your like your old race bikes road mountain whatever and current what are your two favorite mountain bikes you've ever had? Wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't give up anything that I have currently. Right. So but you've got I a ride, few bikes, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, my, you know, I think it's kind of broken down to, a, there's a few. I mean, you know, like one of my favorite first bikes was Keith Bontrager gave me a, a road bike and a mountain bike. I yeah. raced for him in Santa Cruz. I was, you know, 17 years old or something, you know, like that was kind of cool or even younger. Yeah. Um, 
but um you know i won a lot of races on when i raced for specialized and you know there was a um what do we call it the m2 yeah you know that r- uh, the red, red one, one. Yeah. yeah it was I like a, justin i owned a specialized and it was a red m2 yeah and it was you've, some wacky you've come so far <laughs> like uh the material was called Dural can. Um, so it, it was, was metal matrix stuff, right? Yeah, it, yeah. it had ceramic in it yeah. or something. I don't know. It, it could have been marketing that bike bullshit. Rode good though. Yeah. Um, Trek made, you know, when I rode for Trek and we had that OCLV, you know, like they were early c- on the carbon train, big time. And that was an amazing bike. Um, the Y bike was super fun. That little guitar, you yeah. know, you could pound on it like a drum. Did I tell uh, you that there was a guy at Breck Epic last year racing on, you remember the Hawaii one? Oh like yeah. The blue the Y50. Yeah. There was a guy raced all six days of Breck Epic on a fully stock XTR Trek Y bike. The only thing that was replaced was obviously the tires and he had a modern fork on it because whatever came on. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm sure, sure. blew up. Rear shock too. But um, raced all six days on that bike. That's awesome. And was fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a, the LaRocca of, of uh, mountain biking <laughs> there. Um, but today, you know, I still love 27.5, even though I have all 29ers right now. Yeah. Um, you know, if I could only have one bike, it would probably be the Santa Cruz Bronson. You know, yeah. it kind of goes everywhere. I would have thought um, the Tallboy, but... Well, I... I do love yeah, twenty seven five. Yeah. Um and I've I probably spend the most time on a tall boy. I have a tall boy and a high tower. They're almost barely different, long little longer travel. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm like I see myself trying to keep up with friends more, so I kinda go the shorter travel route more. Yeah. Um so on I, climbs, right? I don't know. Just I mean, everywhere. My <laughs> friends go fast too. So um yeah, the climbs yeah. particularly. Yeah. And that you know, so we just moved to this new neighborhood in Morrison, and that's kind of what I'm most excited about. This, you know, the Heckler e-bike is just exploring. Like, there's a lot out there. There is 50 miles of trail, and now I, I mean, I rode them all last summer, but I haven't like got all my loops totally dialed yet. Um, but there were times, you know, where where I was out there, and I'm like. Oh man, I'd really like to go left right now, but what if it gets dark? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, and I just didn't know. And and the maps in the neighborhood are not topo maps, right? <laughs> uh, you know, so you know they're just like a flat map with a, you know some colored trails on them, so you don't really know. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And then you know, back to the kind of tool component of the e-bikes, like. You know, my daughter's 14, my son's 17. He loves to ride. They actually both love riding downhill Winter Park. Um, but I want to get them out on e-bikes and just go for a couple-hour ride or yeah. an hour and a half. Where Something that a 14 and a 17-year-old just don't have the endurance to do, really. Yeah, or my son easily could, but, you know, he's also just wants to ride chairlifts and send yeah. it. Um, so, And I don't and blame him. Player, it's, so, yeah, yeah, and I don't blame him. But, like, yeah. that's fun stuff, yeah. too. Um, but you know, for my daughter, you know, she, we're definitely, you know, pulling teeth to get those guys yeah. out, you know, and adventurous outside. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know, those, and, and my e-bike experience. So I've only ridden my heckler once. Um, it was at a bike launch. The first day that I got there, I rode pedal bikes and had a kick-ass time. We call them on this podcast. They're just called bikes. The pedal bikes? No, yeah. bikes. not not okay. e-bikes are just called just, bikes. They're called bikes, so and they then, get to be bikes. Yeah. Okay, and then, and then an e-bike is technically an e-bike. Yeah. E-bike okay, is an okay. e-bike, but you don't so need to designate. I rode bikes on yeah. on Monday, um, <laughs> and had a great time. Yeah, and then on Tuesday I rode e-bikes. There you go, and had an even better time. Oh man! And I Justin doesn't want to hear. That I know, shit. and I was super worried after riding Tuesday. I'm like, I think my bikes are going to have two flat tires all summer. <laughs> I was convinced that I would not ride yeah. a regular bike. Well, and then Wednesday I rode bikes again and had just as much fun as I had on Tuesday. So it's still um, fun. they're yeah. all going to be in it's, my in my staple yeah. for sure. Yeah. Here's, like, okay, so, so um, you brought up motocross very briefly. And I'm, I'm a motorcycle guy. I've had a motorcycle since I was 17. And uh, I, I happen to not have one now. I haven't for the last couple of years. But I've never had a dirt bike. And I and I know that if I ever got a dirt bike, all of my bikes would be flat tires. Also, I mean, because once you do that, yeah. it's hard to uh, you know it's it's 
it's walking a trail you mountain bike, right? Hiking a trail you mountain bike makes your soul bleed. And so to do that with a trail after you've been on a motocross bike or a dirt bike. So that's why I, the, it's basically my fear of e-bikes in conjunction with the like bravado and ego that I still latch onto for identity that keeps me off of them. Uh, but yeah, I would imagine that once you have the option, you know, you could do more faster. Sure. Um, yeah, it's just that's what I don't, you know, can't, he can't get there. I can't get there because uh, I don't want it. I don't want over to, over many episodes. We've established that Justin just yeah, can't. Get I just don't. Bike he'll get there. I think. I it's, don't think so. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but if you do need one, I have I have a large that's ready to go. Like put course mark course markings out for you <laughs> Man, for, that for is, Sunday. <laughs> I know. I see myself on Friday with a backpack full of signs, like hooked to paint <laughs> sticks or yardsticks, and I'm gonna be tired. Like it's gonna be a long day of marking signs and there will be at the halfway point i'll say to Some myself thoughts. i should i should have just taken yeah. daryl up on the heckler <laughs> <laughs> all right um i think we need to wind down here i think we're uh we're out of time for today um but i super duper appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and talk about old mountain bike stuff and i appreciate justin listening to us talk about <laughs> old mountain bike stuff well no it was cool i again you know when we were talking about the show i was like yeah i don't really know the history much but uh it's it's super impressive to hear not only that you were there at the beginning, but that you're here today still. And that uh, I think one of the things we struggle with most, uh, I think for our listeners and for the people we interact with, is that there's always this constant negotiation between being an adult and having fun with bikes, right? Because they're toys. And, uh, and oftentimes what we see is that the adult wins. And unfortunately, by definition, most people think that means put them in the garage, kind of take a break from that. Oh, I spend time with the kids. I spend time with the this. And so to meet somebody who more than anything has kept the spirit of the sport like prominent in your life as you've raised two kids and evolved from pro racer with barely a handlebar to, you know, a dude <laughs> with 800 mil wide bars on your heckler, you're still just as pure in the sport. And there's, that's just like refreshing and it's cool. And so for those of you listening, Google image Daryl Price and look at the <laughs> stupid ass photos of these crazy weird, like every color under the sun, like <laughs> on your kits and like these crazy bikes and in the mud. But, uh, to know that that guy still today is pedaling bikes and getting people to pedal bikes is I think the beautiful story. So I appreciated enjoying that Genesis of you. No, thank you. And, and, you know, to most of the guys that, and gals, um, that we rode with are still to this day riding bikes, whether it's, you know, Dave Weens or Ned over and Julie Furtado yeah. and so on and so on, like all these people. Um, and you know, many of them are still in Colorado. I'm in good contact with all those people, but that was like, you know, for most of us, that was our college life, mm -hmm. you know, traveling the world. I mean, um, and, and racing bikes all over the place. Um, and those people made it that much better. Um, you know, nobody, nobody we didn't get into it because we thought we were going to make six figures i mean like literally you just were like yeah love racing no different than anyone that's doing it today mm -hmm. um we just happened to catch a wave and ride it all the way and and you know lucky for me i'm still riding it i love it um but yeah for sure Good but stuff. I appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely, I'm sure we didn't cover everything that's on that no, little we, sheet we actually, of paper. We got through it pretty good. We, <laughs> yeah, did, it awesome. we did just fine. Yeah, it was so. awesome. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Don't wait. You're done. So get the fuck out.